Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down, Fumi Saito. Welcome back, finally. We're, uh, we have a series for everybody. We have the first of our championship series, I suppose. His- history of uh, titles in Japan. Today we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about IWGP... Champion. The origin of IWGP from from uh, what it started out as not even a championship belt. It was you know a tournament. Right. It was a tournament that the whole it's a whole concept. Mm. It was a whole concept of it and uh, creation of IWGP committee and mm. all that. Yes, um, we need a you know, brand new episode of Write That Down. Mm. Uh, we took a couple weeks off and uh, yeah. But this is a brand new um, episode because I felt that it's, it's necessary for us to go this historical, you know, his, history episode that uh, the very first IWGP tournament, uh, spring tournament, big huge tournament was back in 1983. You think about it, it's 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, 40 years ago this year. Yeah, so. Uh, it could if you're in 20s or if you're in even 30s that uh, or even the, the serious wrestling fans who's been following wrestling 10 15 20 years it's still the thing that that took place before they were born so i think it's very important has to go over this history and the origin of iwgp concept and how it came about and the hi- basic history of it yeah and then uh, we, I think we uh, we learn a lot from us from mm-hmm. this. And we'll go from the origin of that all the way to what they call the IWGP World Heavyweight. World Heavyweight title. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. but the, it's gonna take a while to go go through this origin. Uh, yeah. So let's start. Okay, let's get into it. Hey, before we start, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Viking Media Network podcast feed on Spotify, Apple, wherever you usually listen to your podcasts, please, because it helps Fight Game Media out very much. So, next week we'll be back with part two of our series, Triple Crown, All Japan Pro Wrestling, we talk a lot about JWA, the early roots, the real origins, not only of those titles but of Japanese pro wrestling in general it's very exciting wonderful get ready for that next week but for now let's talk about IWGP so today we're talking about the origin of IWGP and hopefully yeah we can go all the way to 2023 but uh this whole uh, IWGP International Wrestling Grand Prix wasn't heavyweight title first it was actually the concept that Antonio Inoki came up in 1980. 1980. <laughs> it's like, wow, it goes back that long, you know, that far. Yes, um, while he was holding NWF title, National Wrestling Federation heavyweight title, which was your, well, basically number one title for New Japan Pro Wrestling all through 70s into 1980s, right? <clears throat> Yeah, it was also around that time where um, 
1980, 81, 82, with the WWF, WWF was title was in the mix a little bit, and that marks mixed or martial arts title was in the mix a little bit. It was a it was a time where the NWF title was the main championship. There wasn't any IWGP Heavyweight Championship yet. Oh no, not not until well, IWGP Heavyweight Title doesn't become the title championship to def- to be defended until 1987. Mm. Yeah, the, all right. That the the concept of IWGP Na- International Wrestling Grand Prix was introduced in December of 1980. Antonio Inoki and J- New Japan Pro Wrestling announced it that we are going to create the this time uh, undisputed, undisputed um, heavyweight championship of the world, uh, meaning like. Uh, Decide who's who is the best wrestler in the world. It's a big, wide concept of it. And uh, 1981, they formed a, like a title committee, kind of like Olympic committee type of thing. Out, basically, outside of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, uh, the, the promoter was called around the world in Los Angeles, Mike LaBelle, that uh, Portland, Oregon, Don Owen. The, the uh, Calgary Alberta, Stu Hart, of course, a Montreal promoter. Uh, the, of course, part part of they 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 were affiliated. Uh, was a business partner of WWE, uh, WWF at the time. Vince McMahon Senior, um, Toronto promoter, the Frank Tunney. Um, of course, the, the, when you say Toronto, Canada, and Tani, today's not today's, but the more modern wrestling fan would think about uh, what, what's his name from WWE figurehead president once upon Jack Tani. Yeah, Jack Tani was a nephew of Frank Tani, uh, the so Toronto, original Toronto promoter that uh, Frank Tani, and people like you know Paul Barger that. Uh, Vance from Europe, and they were going to create undisputed uh, world heavyweight tournament uh, to decide who is the real king of professional wrestling. Of a very like a dreamlike concept, of course. At the time, National Wrestling Alliance (NWA), right, and American Wrestling Association (Vern Gagne's AWA), and of course, New York and East Coast area WWF. At the time, so the heavyweight champions already existed, but the whole concept concept was uh, to create the undisputed world heavyweight title. That was uh, the beginning of IWGP. Very much like a dream, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. it had to be something that countered uh, NWA, the National the Wrestling time, Alliance yeah, board. Uh, in 1975, Antonio Inoki's New Japan became member, you know, had a membership with NWA too, actually. Mm. Yeah. But so was uh, Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling, both members of NWA. And the reason that uh, Inoki's New Japan uh, became NWA member was that uh, uh, Vince McMahon Sr. told New Japan that, well, why don't you guys claim and use this anti, um, what do you call that, Um, antitrust, um, if they only allow 
giant Baba in all Japan as a member member, it's like clearly violating violating the free you know enterprise world, and uh, so reluctantly NWA people let Inoki in too, but they uh, the, in reality NWA World Heavyweight Champion at the time it was a Jack Briscoe. Okay, they never you know toured New Japan. Yeah, you don't, don't. Yeah, you'd only see the NWA stars with all Japan. Right from from like a um, Dory Funk, Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk to Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, Dory yeah. Funk, all the way to Ric Flair to whatnot, you know, all the way to eighties, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the former champion like Pat O'Connor, Gene Kaniski, the, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, all associated with Giant Baba's Old Japan. But at the same time, yeah, Anthony Inoki's in New Japan. Was had a partnership with WWF, so everybody from New York, you know, East Coast area, everybody but Bruno San Martino. San Martino was a friend of Baba, so he just didn't come. But uh, you know, Bob Backlund, the Pedro Morales, the, you know, pretty much every single WWF superstar came, you know, start appearing in New Japan. And Andre the Giant was the regular, yeah. Mm-hmm. Andre was under Vince McMahon Senior's contract, but he was more of an ambassador that uh, Vince McMahon Senior did not keep Andre the Giant in one place. So he was under Vince McMahon Senior's WWE contract, WWF, I should say, contract, but he was sent to all the territories, existing territories at the time, you know, like 25 to 30 territories all, all over North, uh, North America and, and Mexico, Australia, Japan, Mexico. And uh, Andre traveled all, you know, all year long. And that was the, the deal. When he was not in America, he was in Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Andre the Giant, 74 on, he used to spend good um 10 to 20 weeks out of year in Japan. That's a long tour, isn't it? Hmm. And especially yeah, like, for, I mean, compared with, you know, I, I hear always this talk of wrestlers these days are smaller than the wrestlers from back then. You have to imagine that the wrestlers were also bigger. They were bigger back then, but also those planes were smaller. The travel wasn't as, it's not what it was today. It was, it was a long flight and, just not <laughs> yeah. going back and forth if you're Andre the Giant. Oof. Yeah, anywhere from 12 to 15. In some years, he was in Japan like 20 weeks. 20 weeks is like a five months out of the year, you know? It's a long time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he was regular. And a little bit later on, Hulk Hogan was regular. Mm-hmm. Stan Hansen, before he switch aside to all Japan pro wrestling. We'll get to that. But uh, this IWGP concept was that, that uh, in New Japan, Antonio Inoki's brainchild, you know, that the IWGP was going to be the biggest thing in wrestling. And eight, you know, late 70s into 80s fan believed it. Right, it's going to be better than WWE, uh, NWA. Right, it's going to be bigger than anything in the world than uh, IWGP. And then... To prove that um, Anthony Inoki first relinquished NWF title, no more NWF. Then Sakaguchi bringing his North American heavyweight title, and Sakaguchi and Choshu at the time, NWA North American tag team champions, he relinquished the title, and they brought the belt. 
like Tiger Jeet Singh brought the old Asian belt. And Abdullah the Butcher um, brought in his um, Caribbean heavyweight title, if there was such thing. And uh, they were going to bring existing belt and relinquish it and uh, work for the common goal. We are creating IWGP. And uh, to make a long story short, um, very first inaugural uh, IWGP tournament was held 19, uh, May to June of 1983. And the tournament final was 28-year-old uh, Hulk Hogan beating Antonio Inoki. You would think, uh, you know, the very first inaugural IWGP tournament, you would think Antonio Inoki will win. And, and that would be the end of the story, huh? But uh, instead, Inoki uh, was beaten by, yeah, yeah, was defeated by up, uprising Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan was the you know, first IWGP tournament winner and actually wore that original IWGP heavyweight championship belt that uh, everybody knows is the Inoki's title, the round, you know, black leather round belt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hulk Hogan actually won it. And uh, it was kind of controversial because if you remember, with, I'm talking about things from 40 years ago, but uh, uh, with Hulk Hogan's this big ox bomber, that the big clothesline thing, uh, Inoki standing on apron, giving big clothesline, and uh, Inoki f flew over and get knocked out, and Inoki was in, you know, was carried away by stretcher, and when you know ambulance came and he went into hospital. Big thing, huge thing, because for pretty much all of the seven time, yeah, all the seventies, aside from a few names, Inoki was undefeated. Yeah, if not winning it, it's like not losing it. So it's like a Inoki against Dory Funk Jr., like a 60-minute draw, right? Mm -hmm. Billy Robinson. Billy Robinson, of course, yeah. And the very first very first opening of 1972 New Japan Pro Wrestling's opening match, 48-year-old Korogach beating Anton Inoki. Mm -hmm. He lost. You know? But the, yes, you would think... At this, you know, three years in making that the 1983 first uh, inaugural tournament, IWGP champion tournament, that the final was Antonio Inoki against Hulk Hogan. You would think, you know, Inoki is going to be the winner, first winner, and that, that would be the story. But the, how instead, Inoki chose to do so, that uh, basically Hulk Hogan became huge sensation. Actually, Hulk Hogan was big, huge star in Japan before he was huge star in America. That's what I'm trying to get to, I think. Hmm. Ichiban. Ichiban with yeah, with black trunks and silver boots, and Ichiban riding on on, on the trunks. And he wore and kimono, red kimono, and saying in the back saying uh, thunder thunder lips. Mm -hmm. uh, that was right after Rocky Three movie too. So when he did Rocky Three, he wasn't. It wasn't Hulkamania yet. It was maybe Hulkamania in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Well, because the word WrestleMania came out of you know come out of this the Hulkamania you know the vocabulary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll, he, we'll get to that. 
Sure. Yeah, he he was it, it was such a craze in Japan that it came off like Beatlemania almost like this guy it just caught fire in Japan came back to the states and the rest yeah, is history. Yeah, like 6 months before that that the December tag team tournament 1982 Antonio Inoki and Hulk Hogan teamed up and made a tag team. Inoki Hogan tag. That's right. Houston. Yeah. Then beat beat Killer Khan and Kim Dak on final for you know this inaugural Madison Square Garden uh, tag team tournament thing. And, mm. and how Co- they made Hulk Hogan big baby face. The part of the reason was, though, that at the, on the end of 81, Stan Hansen left New Japan and you know, signed with All Japan. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Then Hulk Hogan, until then, Stan Hansen and young Hulk Hogan were a tag team, right? But the New Japan pretty much decided to make babyface superstar out of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, after after Stan Hansen left. And they signed a new deal with Hulk Hogan, and he was basically under contract with New Japan. And at the time, 82 and 83, Hulk Hogan worked half the year AWA, half the year in New Japan. So, so he, Hulk Hogan still talks about it today that uh, first half of his wrestling career, he felt like he spent the entire half, half of his career in Japan. Mm. Yeah, not far from it, right? He was a big but, part uh, of the start, for sure. Yeah, and then basically learned side by side with Antonio Inoki that how to be, you know, learn how to be national, you know, hero type babyface. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that. You know how huge Antonio Inoki was, and basically, how uh, Hogan really looked up to Antonio Inoki, and but the six months later they met in single match situation uh, for the the first final of IWGP tournament, and how Hogan beat Inoki instead. I mean, how serious and a big deal that was in in summer of 1983 to beat Antonio Inoki of 1983 right mm. yeah huge and yeah yeah so uh actually so that was the origin of IWGP and it was not a championship there was a championship belt though that the winner of the IWGP tournament how Kogan wore that original IWGP belt but uh, that was a tournament so that Ended right there. And following year, 1984, Inoki and Hulk Hogan met again for the second year. Uh, tournament final, Inoki against Hulk Hogan again. This time, Hulk, uh, the Inoki beat him um, 
the count out, not the pinfall. But uh, this year was really controversy that uh, Ricky Choshu and Maso Saito did the run-in and, and try to interfere and destroy the match a couple of times. They had a count out finish and fan got real upset. So they restarted the match and double count out, count out again. And uh, they restarted the match again. And then and the third time, Inoki beat, uh, beat Hulk Hogan by their count out. And that was like the original Sumo Palace riot. Mm. Mm. Historical, huh? Yeah. Is that the one with what? the ambulance? The ambulance came and... Ambulance came in 1983. Inoki went to hospital. Yeah. That was the one. Yeah, the first first one, yeah, 83. That actually, the evening news and the newspaper actually covered it as an accident. Hmm. Yeah, during the wrestling match, Antonio Inoki was injured and uh, had a concussion and was rushed to hospital. And it was covered in the evening news. Although later on, like decades later, in, you know, people decided that that was Inoki's big angle, right? Mm-hmm. But at the time, yes, 19, summer of 1983, yeah, that the ambulance came and Inoki was put in hospital and the evening news came and, and covered the story that Inoki got knocked out during the match, during the stage match, they call it, right? Mm. And uh, it became like regular news. But that also helped Hulk Hogan's name to be really famous. Like uh, your general audience, like a TV viewer would know Hulk Hogan. Who beat Antonio Inoki? Who is this guy? Yeah, he was becoming real popular among wrestling fans, but the general population learned how Colgan's name that summer. Yeah. From there, I mean, he, it just got more and more uh, big for Hogan. I mean, he was in comic books, and he was he was among the top foreigners in Japan. It was him, Hanson, Brody, Abdullah, Sheik. Yeah. He, the, he was yeah, in yeah he, the funks yeah the funks those the, I mean, he was the top who's the top of the top yeah twenty eight year old Hulk Hogan and that you know the end of the eighty uh, eighty three Inoki and and Hulk Hogan teamed up again for the tag team tournament that put him back in babyface role too mm-hmm. in following year eighty four second year the IWGP tournament. Uh, Hulk Hogan and Inoki met again, and Inoki beat him this time. But the uh, interference of Ricky Joshua and Masa Saito and double count out and, and restart the match and the double count again and count out, out again. And the third match, Inoki barely you know, survived and you know, that, uh, that the, ran back to the ring before Hulk Hogan did and barely beat him in count out finish. But Inoki barely beat him. But... Uh, Inoki became 1984 second year uh, IWGP tournament winner. Yeah. What was interesting was, though, it was June of 1984. If you realize, Hulk Hogan was already WWF champion as of January of 1984, beating Iron Sheik. Remember? Mm -hmm. So it it would be like Roman Reigns going over and winning the IWGP championship. And holding it for while six he was WWF while champion. he was champion, yeah, yeah. Um, un- unbelievable to think about. To think about, right? Because the WWF and New Japan business partnerships still existed. That was the last leg of it, though. But uh, you know, yellow trunks, yellow boots, Hulk Hogan, 
started this Hulk and Hulkamania thing, beating Iron Sheik and this you know, national expansion of WWE already you know started. But uh, he still honored all the Jap- you know, Japanese dates that uh, he was booked in New Japan series, like tours, you know. And then when he came to Japan, he did not have this yellow trunks and yellow t- you know, boots that he still wore this black trunks with Ichiban on it and silver boots and joined New Japan crew, like worked like a New Japan guy. Yeah. That was 1984. Yeah. And this September of 1984, what was interesting was that that the WWF is how Hulk, already started, right? Mm-hmm. And IWGP concept starting already rolling. And September of 1984, Inoki and, and Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon had a big press conference at the Kiyo Plaza Hotel in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. They, they announced it as if, I guess, uh, they're, they're still partners in Japan, New Japan, in America, uh, WWF. And they were they were business partners, and how Kogan was the one standing in the middle. Can you imagine the picture? Like like forty years later, it's really almost surreal that this how Kogan standing in the middle, and one side Vince McMahon, the other side Antonio Inoki being the same picture. Wasn't the, I read, there are some magazine covers that had that those three depicted around that time. Yeah, because they're still partners. But basically, though, that uh, the promoter who had business partnership with Antonio Inoki and New Japan was Vince McMahon Senior. Right. Right. And Vince McMahon Senior passed away May twenty seventh of nineteen eighty four. Vince, like today's Vincent uh, Kennedy McMahon, already took over WWE at, by then. But uh, this partnership still existed, but it was Vince, today's Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, that the, who was going to cut the ties, and, you know, not just with Japan, but everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, basically, uh, by 1984, Vincent Kennedy McMahon stole all the talent from all the territories and start running national expansion that they're going into AWA territory, NWA territory, that uh, invaded St. Louis, and all these things already happened, you know, started happening in 1984. But Hulk Hogan still had uh, the schedule with New Japan, and he wanted to honor all these, you know, book dates. And I think Vince McMahon at the time had a problem with it. He's not going to Japan. And uh, not just not just Hulk Hogan, but Under the Giant, the Dick Murdoch, uh, Adrian Adonis, Cowboy Bob Orton, the Paul Orndorff, the Brian Blair, the, all these guys who was working New Japan dates regularly, they started disappearing too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was 1984. So uh, what was interesting was that uh, Hulk Hogan was already WWF champion. But he was still coming to New Japan. So that goes into 1985. 1985, that uh, what was interesting was that the third year, third year IWGP tournament, uh, May of 1985, the f- tournament final was Antonio Inoki against Andre the Giant this year. Okay. And Inoki beat him. Okay. 
And what was interesting was the, that was a June 11th that the Inoki beat Andre the Giant to be the winner of the 1985 uh, turn, uh, IWGP tournament. And two days later, Inoki, it's been forgotten, but the Inoki in, in Nagoya on June tw uh, 12th, Inoki in Nagoya defended his IWGP title as a title and defended against Hulk Hogan, and he beat Hulk Hogan, a count-out finish, of course, but uh, he defended the, defended the title. Yeah. Uh, this title match has been kind of you know, forgotten in his, you know, in shuffle, but uh, Inoki beat Under the Giant for, for 1985 IWGP uh, tournament, and very next night, Andre and Hogan uh, made a tag team in, in Yokohama, and that the Andre Hogan team beat Inoki and Sakaguchi team for Yokohama main event. And the very next day, in, they traveled to Nagoya. Uh, Inoki defended his IWGP heavyweight title against against the challenger Hulk Hogan, and Inoki beat him in a count out. And uh, actually, in 1985. Uh, before he was even a title, uh, Inoki defended IWGP title, then relinquished the title after the match, which was interesting because it's a tournament title, right? Mm -hmm. Not to be defended, but uh, this forgotten title match, and actually the very last title match between Inoki and again and uh, against Hulk Hogan happened in June of. 1985. If you remember 1985, March 31st of 1985, WrestleMania 1 already took place. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking about Hulk Hogan, Mr. T against Roddy Piper, and was that Paul Orndorff? Yes, Orndorff. And Jimmy Snooker and Ace Bob Orton in the corner and Muhammad Ali, our special referee, and Billy Martin ring announcer, all these, uh, Liberace, and every, that very first WrestleMania took place three months prior to that. So well into WrestleMania era that New Japan and WWF partnership, you know, this business business partnership, you know, it was going still. Yeah. Isn't that mm. interesting? Mm. It was uh, another transition period for sure. It was, a, it was a transition period between international companies. Everything was changing because of television as well, both in Japan and in the States. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so the landscape was changing too. And mm. uh, what was interesting. interesting was though that how Kogan was still willing to come to Japan at the time. But it was it was Vince McMahon. None of WWE talent is coming to Japan anymore, and mm -hmm. including Andre, Adrian Adonis, and you know, you know, who are all regular with New Japan. And at the same time, around the same time, though, no, 1985 was the year Bruiser Brody was signed, and he switched side from All Japan to New Japan. It was big. What? Yeah, and then what? Japanese press was talking about at the time was that by uh, having how uh, that uh, Bruiser Brody signing with uh, New Japan, Brody will be working both WWF and New Japan. That mm -hmm. was the speculation. Mm -hmm. 
And the magazine had a front cover page of Hulk Hogan and Bruce Brody together as if they were going to have a match in Madison Square Garden. Maybe there was a plan, okay, that the Brody... I sat down with Bruce Brody and he, he even talked about it, that the, he will be working both WWF and New Japan that year. Right. He told you that, that he expected that there was going to be some kind of program between him and Hogan. There weren't any details, but I mean, he definitely had that on his mind. That was that was the initial plan. It seemed Before like, um... he went, but uh, he quickly found out that uh, if there was Hulk Hogan against Bruce Brody in American turf, it would be one leg drop, one to three. Mm-mm. I mean, it doesn't matter if it was Brody or Andre or anybody else, that once you're signed with WWE, we are programmed with Hulk Hogan, and you probably work around the horn all over the United States with the same program, that probably set set a single match, uh, just Brody becoming one of the many Hulk Hogan's challenger, you know, or heavyweight big challengers, you know, like, you know, Porn of Tom Rock or the, the Big John Stud or whomever, that uh, Brody will be just one of them, right? Hmm. Hmm. And then Brody quickly decided not to go there shortly after and basically worked full time with New Japan that year. But it was there was a plan. That uh, then also at uh, at one point, Bruiser Brody had a feeling that uh, he would be working both places, WWF and New Japan, all at the same time. He will be working against Antonio Inoki single match program in Japan, and working a single match program against Hulk Hogan same year. But that didn't take place because this is Vince McMahon world, right? Mm. Yeah, by then, it's 1985. Then what was interesting, though, that uh, up until 1985, so 83, 84, 85, three years of this, you know, first three years of IWGP uh, tournament, right? Hulk Hogan really came in and worked the program against Inoki and like a Fujinami or, you know, who, who, whomever was in, 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 in the league at uh, the, the tournament. And he worked as uh, like a New Japan wrestler. Then, then uh, that was the year that uh, they New Japan still had partnership with WWE. So Tatsumi Fujinami was WWF in international champion. That the title is pretty much largely forgotten, right? Mm. And Tatsumi Fujinami and Kengo Kimura was WWF. WWF International Tag Team Champion, beating Murdoch and Adonis. And also, traditionally, New Japan always held WWF Junior Heavyweight title for all the way from Junior Heavyweight version of Fujinami to your original Sayama Tiger Mask to Cobra or somebody like that, right? I think it was even a part of the uh, initial J-Cup or J-Crown or something like that, right? Oh, that doesn't happen until like 87. Oh, of course, but later on, of course, like in the 90s, but uh, same belt. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it would turn into IWGP Junior Heavyweight title after sure. Nobuhiko Takada and Shiro Koshinaka, okay? But at the time, there was uh, WWF 
junior heavyweight title in, in New Japan ring. WWF international heavyweight title uh, was in New Japan ring. And WWF international tag team titles was in, 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 in New Japan ring. It probably wasn't recognized in America, but uh, to show that there was a partnership that the WWE, WWF, I should say, WWF uh, title w- was kept by New Japan promotion. Yeah. That was, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Then in October of that year, they all announced, the New Japan finally announced it, that uh, uh, the partnership with WWF has been expired. Okay, expired. Therefore, they are relinquishing um, w, uh, WWF International title, WWF International Tag Team title, and WWE, uh, WWF Junior Heavyweight title altogether. Yeah. Then that same month, October of 85, Kerry Von Erich and Kevin Von Erich came in and they announced a new partnership with World Class. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting time period, huh? It was uh, it was definitely the marker period transition period for the new era. I get, in Japan, it's it's a little bit different chronology, but in the states, definitely that was WWF's big move that year, eighty four, eighty five, WrestleMania, yeah, yeah. Hulkamania, expansion and uh, television. WrestleMania begins, and uh, all the talents from NWA territory, like you know. NW Georgia, NW Florida, they made it empty, right? Mm, mm. All the top talent was signed by WWF. Although the, the most damage they did was like AWA at the time. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, the, the ring announcer, Mean Gene Auckland, to Bobby the Brain Heenan, to pretty much Ken Patera, to. Uh, Pretty much they stole all the top talent, all the way to people like the Crusher and Mad Dog Vashan at the time, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And uh, AWA, you know, worked really hard to, you know, maintain, and they would survive until, like, 1990, but it was, like, a very skeleton in at the end. It was, like, a really sad ending. But, uh, yes, um, New Japan, too. Uh, dropped the, the the partnership with WWF at the end, like a fall of 1985. But the, today we're talking about IWGP, right? Mm-hmm. Following so the WWE WWF, I should say WWF affiliate, uh, the all the partnership thing dropped, and Brody came in, uh, Von Erichs came in, and and uh, the Sakaguchi signed uh, another partnership with Bill Watts at the time. People like Huxley, Jim Duggan, um, these people came in, and in, in, uh, new sets of American wrestlers start appearing in New Japan Ring. <clears throat> What was interesting yeah. about that time was that it went from the foreign wrestlers being the top of the card, top stars, to the Japanese stars after that. Yeah, Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takada, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Shoshu, Fujinami. Yeah, that's like a UWF group, right? And mm-hmm. Ricky Choshu, who spent 85 and 86 with All Japan Pro Wrestling, he came back to New Japan in, in the spring of 87. And not just <clears throat> Ricky Choshu himself, but his 15 guys all came back. <clears throat> so, yeah, in 90, okay, I'll get to that. It was in, we talked about 80, in, uh, 85, right? In 86, they still held fourth year IWGP tournament. Fourth year, 
the final was Antonio Inoki against single match Dick Murdoch. Yeah, it's like still very much without WWF, okay? Dick Murdoch can do can be the uh, very top guy in, in Japan. And the tournament final was Antonio Inoki against Dick Murdoch, 86 tournament. In 87, like I said, that the, the, all the UWF guys, like Maeda and his guys, and Ricky Choshu and his guys, and New Japan's regular guys, like Inoki Fujinami, Kengo Kimura, the Sakaguchi, they were there, and American crew. So, like in 87, there were like a four big dressing room when I go to the buildings, New Japan dressing room, big dressing room, UWF dressing room, and Ricky Choshu and his guys' dressing room, and American dressing room. Like, Back then, Dick Murdoch, the, the Bob Orton, the the, the uh, like young Scott Hall, Owen Hart, the Konga the Barbarian, the Kokina, the Samu, the, the, they were there. Yeah, yeah, Dynamite Kid. Dynamite Kid wasn't there anymore. No. Oh, he had Dynamite the Kids. No, Dynamite Kid signed with All Japan at the end of '84. That's right. That's um, era uh, was, was yeah pretty much you know, new, with New Japan ended when Sayama quit, and Davy Boy and and Dynamite Kid signed with Mr. Hito and switched side to All Japan. What was interesting was though when the British Bulldogs was created in WWE ring they, that uh, really buffed up Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy, mm. uh, working WWF but still honored uh, tour with All Japan at the same time. That the, that's right. That's right. Con- it was a rare yeah, time. W- still, yeah. WWE con- contract was still like up to your individual, or like a phrase that uh, a lot of guys' contracts said that the Japan deal is separate. Mm. Yeah. Very but, different. But, yeah, but back to yeah, back to our subject that the Dynamite Kid wasn't part of New mm. Japan anymore. No. By that time, but that's right. was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Young Owen Hart, young Scott Hall. Yeah. And people like Billy Jack Haynes, uh, Von Erichs, or even, not just Kerry Von Erich and Kevin Von Erich, but they said they sent people like Lance Von Erich. Mm. <laughs> kind you of, know, uh, yeah, he had some interesting brother, but, yeah. matches over in Japan. Yeah, yeah, you you have that their footage exists that the people watching go, you'd be so amused, right? Yeah, he's not, um, how do I put it? In a gentle way, he's not uh, on the same level as his brothers, quote unquote brothers. What was amazing was that the New Japan uh, office didn't know about that because world class would be sending New Japan talent, right? Kerry Van Eric coming, Kevin Van Eric coming, Mike Van Eric even had a tour, and then they're sending Lance Van Eric. That's a new Van Eric. All right, right? They didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also people like uh, Mad Dog Bud Sawyer was on tour. Uh, Manny Fernandez. Yeah, that's a, in, those independent but really good, like a veteran professional was handpicked by New Japan. And it, it, yeah, they started you know, b- becoming more regular with New Japan at the time. No more WWE affiliates, you know, no business partnership, but they still had lots of American coming, yeah. In 87, 
fifth year, yeah, 1987 IWGP tournament, which was the final tournament tournament. That uh, final was Antonio Inoki against Masa Saito. Hmm. Then that uh, Inoki, of course, beat Masa, right? Masa Saito. That uh, Masa Saito's big Saito suplex. That uh, you, you know Inoki turns his body, then the drop. You know, then that became that was the very first time they did that. Then uh, it was like wow, very creative, right? But very next day, everybody started doing that. Sure. You remember that one? Sure. You know, like a big Saito suplex in the midair. You know, he turns and he, the both guys like a like a drop on canvas like a, at the same time. And it was a like, wow. Is that how you kind of you know prevent you know from massa throwing big Saito suplex and all these things. It was such a creative high spot. But the Inoki beat Masa Saito at the tournament final in 1987 in the IWGP becomes heavyweight championship title to be defended that day. That was a day that also ran a big, huge angle, if you remember, now leader against new leader, the older generation against new generation. All of a sudden, all the existing faction was you know, broken up, that uh, all of a sudden, Inoki, Sakaguchi, and Masa Saito, and Fujiwara teaming up as a, uh, that the older generation the group and Fujinami and Riki Choshi Maeda, uh, they all start teaming up as a new generation. And uh, that lasted maybe three months until Inoki had this Ganryujima jungle match, Inoki against Masasaito again, and destroyed the whole angle overnight. But that's another sub- subject for another day. Right. But what we're talking about today was that 1987, IWGP finally became heavyweight title. To be defended, no more championship. I mean, uh, spring tournament. So, eighty-seven June on, that IWGP became heavyweight title. Yeah. Yeah, it was. A, it was, was a belt. Uh, there was the belt. It was a championship to be defended. Yeah, eighty-seven on, but the whole concept was that. Uh, yeah, uh, after all, it's it's New Japan's world heavyweight title, right? Hmm. But uh, when it you know started the concept in 1980, Inoki wanted to create the uh, undisputed that the biggest thing in wrestling, and the committee was formed like Olympic committee almost, and the promoters around the world from like I said, Mike Labelle from LA, that the Don Owen from Oregon, that the Stuart from Calgary, that the, somebody uh, I think it was a Rujo family from Montreal, hmm. and. Tani in Frank Tani from uh, Toronto, um, even uh, even Eddie Graham from Florida, and Vince McMahon Senior, that they all recognized IWGP uh, to be, and also out of ones of Europe, they all recognized IWGP as something very new. The whole concept was to create the top of the mountain uh, tournament. And it was like a good enough story for 80s fans to believe it, right? Sure, it felt fresh compared with all Japan, which had been around for a couple half, almost decade and a half by then. 
They were New Japan the same way. New Japan started 1972. Baba's Old Japan started the same 1972. Mm -hmm. It's more like an establishment that uh, Jan Baba's NWA affiliate right away and all the NWA World Heavyweight Champion only tours New, New Japan and, and, and I mean Old Japan. And Inoki wanted to join NWA, but there wasn't, you know, couldn't join. And instead, Inoki, you know, beat Johnny Powers and brought NWF title and made that into number one title in, in Japan. And, uh, yeah, but uh, after NWF, and they relinquished the title and wanted to create IWGP, the new concept, and they, you know, they made all the existing championship belt vacant. Therefore, they can create the new the top of the mountain thing. And the uh, inaugural first tournament had people like Andrew the Giant, uh, Hulk Hogan, Aro Vance from Europe, that uh, Akira Maeda being brought back as a Europe, Europe heavyweight, you know, the, the world title, uh, that the European heavyweight champion, Akira Maeda, 24 at the time. And people like Enrique Vera from Mexico, you know, representing that uh, Central and South America. You know, it just, it was interesting that the people really believed it was going to be the new thing. Hmm. And they had such a surprise finish at, you know, 83 tournament final Inoki against Inoki against Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan beat him. So he was big champion in Japan six months before he was WWF champion. That's very interesting twist in history. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Because it hasn't happened since nothing of that stature. Yeah. And then also Hulk Hogan walking two different continents at, at a time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Hulk Hogan uh, really spent a lot of time in Japan in early 80s. Yeah. See, when he was like a most active in, 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 in Japan, with New Japan, mm. uh, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan was like a 28, <laughs> you know? Now that this year in summer, when, you know, when the birthday comes, Hulk Hogan will turn 70 this year. It's wild. Can you imagine? Think. It's wild. Isn't this wild? Yeah. 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 But uh, it's it's good to learn history because IWGP thing, very first tournament goes all the way back to 1983. Now it's 40 years ago, you know. But uh, when you think about WWF, now, now WWE, I should say, but the WWF, Worldwide Wide Wrestling Federation, starts back in 1963. Right, so it's like, wow, WWF, WWE has been around sixty years too. Not all that long ago, though. But when you, if you're twenties or thirties, and uh, you know, been a wrestling fan for the past ten, fifteen years, pretty much know enough. But you can go back just a teeny bit more that uh, you have big picture. I mean, like a, you understand bigger picture, don't you think? Especially with Japanese wrestling, because so many things tie back to the origins, don't they? And also everything in writing and all the video footage are kept and magazines and sports pages covered it. So there's like a record for it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because with American wrestling, WWE conquered the world and now it's in, in WWE video archive. Therefore, they control this history, too. You know what I'm saying? That's right. 
Yeah. So more of a revisionist, you know, version of history can go. But the, in Japan, all the things are basically in record and the, the video footage exists. And when Inoki you know, passed away last year, uh, that the, now that the complete Antonio Inoki Blu-ray DVD coming out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I saw a lot of promotion for that. Yeah. Well, month. even Keiji Muto's 39 history, you know, from New Japan version of, you know, the early New Japan to Space Long Wolf version of uh, Keiji Muto or Three Musketeer version of uh, Keiji Muto, a great Muta uh, version of that. And All Japan, Wrestle One, and all the way to Pro Wrestling Noah, uh, Keiji Muto. This is, all these videos really exist and they are, we have the clear record. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, uh, early '80s Hulk Hogan, you know, involvement with New Japan Pro Wrestling, yeah, and the video exists, yeah. And but from... uh, that was eighty, yeah, back to '87, yeah. So uh, after fifth year and uh, annual IWGP tournament, round robin tournament uh, was held. Uh, all the way uh, the f for five year period in '87, Antonio Inoki beat Masa Saito in final, and that became heavyweight title. '87, so that means like 35 years ago now, right? That's about yeah. right. Yeah, and '87 was also the year they introduced Big Van Vader as a new monster. Ah, uh, and he. He basically destroyed yeah, the very debut match in December 27th, to be exact. December 27th of 1987. Debut, debuting Big Van Vader beat in two minutes. Oh, my. And turned into a riot afterwards. Yeah, that, chaos. That was, yeah that was chaotic because people, I'm talking about the audience, but, you know, clearly knew what they want to see and what they didn't want to see. And the New Japan was puzzled and I guess confused a little bit that uh, they went ahead and have, you know, like half-hearted Inoki Riki Choshu single match and had a quick DQ. Then had Inoki come back with one more match and had a single match against debuting Big Van Vader. Then Vader beat him in two minutes. Oh my gosh, it's like people were mad. They wanted to see Riki Choshu Inoki single match uh, climax, then Ricky Choshu beat Inoki clean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They didn't happen that way. Yeah, it but was I guess a very messy. Always don't give people what they want. I mean, you should promoters should give people what they want, but not everything they want. But for for that whole program, what there was also famous uh, comedian and actor involved in the angle. Yeah, the, yeah Saito, the, uh, Kitano, yeah, yeah. and. The right, Takeshi, yeah, Takeshi, yeah, Takeshi, yeah, that and, was more of like uh TV Asahi's production, right? Though. Right, yeah. and that's the, when things you know, when TV Takeshi stations get wasn't involved. going to be involved, that was just one night thing for them. It was hard for them to actually have you know Takeshi in that ring that night, and he left the building before the main event, even, yeah. Then they introduced somewhat unwanted Big Van Vader that night and Big Van Vader 
really beat him, you know, Inoki in two minutes. And actually looked pretty green in there, but Inoki still did the clean job, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a, people are puzzled, you know. What the hell are you watching, right? And Vader had this very theatric entrance with his, what do you call it, shoulder the protector dress. helmet protector, or the, yeah yeah kind of the gear yeah super samurai from the future helmet with a smoke coming out yeah that's right yeah so it but was that, a different direction what was for interesting was a starting january 88 big man vader worked pretty much full time with new japan and he quickly became one of the best you know working big man in one year period improved so much how talented leon white was mm. and he was always in this new this early iwgp title belt scene Picture, early on yeah. uh with yeah, the and, Fujinami. and uh that was the that the inoki stepping down from the top and uh the one by one who was in excursion to foreign country international market that uh, Shinya Hashimoto came back, Masahiro Chono came back, then finally Keiji Muto came back, forming Three Musketeer era. Yeah. Then IWGP title, now it's title, so that they will be held by Tatsumi Fujinami, Riki Choshu, or Saruman Hashimikov, or, or, or Keiji Muto, or Hashimoto, or Kensuke Sasaki, and back to Vader. And yeah, it was a whole new. Uh, that I think it was like a new era had begun that, around that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there was definitely a little bit of a, a precursor period in the late 80s to the early 90s when right, I, I, I feel like there's the early on, you got Vader, Fujinami, Choshu, and then a yeah. little, a li and Hashimikov, and, and that scene for, that was kind of coming out of the late 80s, and then the 90s was the Three Musketeers era. Yeah, yeah. And what we should not forget was that the August historical match, August 8th, 1988, very last single match uh, between Antonio Inoki and Tatsumi Fujinami. Mm -hmm. That time, 1988, August 8th, Fujinami was IWGP champion, Inoki was a challenger, and they, they did the 60-minute and uh, that was the last time they had single match against one another. And uh, that was a historical match. Mm. Then uh, 89 on, Inoki went into public office and became politician. Yeah. And Fujinomi became big heavyweight star instead of junior heavyweight star. Uh, yeah, he um, basically he, became he had... heavyweight when Tiger Mask came along, no? Mm. But by the time, by the, I, I look at it like the time of the Inoki match, that was really when Fujinami was the guy at New Japan. On his own. Yeah. yeah. And he, he and was the top. following year, in, in 1990, the Tokyo Dome, that the NWA World Champion Ric Flair against IWGP Champion Fujinami at the Tokyo Dome. In Japan, in Japanese ring, that uh, Fujinami beat Flair to become NWA Champion, double champion. Then angle was shot that uh, there was a over the top rope uh, that then the second referee recognized it and the first referee didn't recognize that the first ref second referee came in and then the Fujinami pins Flair and the, at the building everybody thought Fujinami beat Ric Flair. I mean, it was such an NWA finish, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but, at the building, know, all the magazines, live audience, believe it's Fujinami beat Flair for the, the for the NWA title, and actually won, you know, wore the belt, and they left the ring, and uh, but in in WCW television, that the Flair was still champion. Mm, that's right. Decades before the internet, mm, that pay per view was also broadcast in English at one point. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that was very interesting. But for the Super Brawl, that the Fujinami did go to like uh, St. Petersburg, uh, Florida, to have one more single match against Fuji, uh, the Ric Flair in Florida. Yeah. This time, clearly a challenger, I guess. But uh, yeah. So the program, the, basically by 1990, early 90s, New Japan had a partnership with WCW instead of WWF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like these very you know complicated pieces of puzzle that the new japan who what can you know the promoter and company that the new japan will be affiliated in states and all that things right mm-hmm. yeah so that was that and uh if we know this history you know we we, we have this this more better understanding of what iwgp really is and it is New Japan's creation, and it really is World Heavyweight title, don't you think? I think especially these days, because it's from a company that's been financially and successful and successful both domestically and internationally. It's just been in the game for a long time. It's well-respected. With IWGP Heavyweight title, they have created... You know, new stars they were able to create. Well, after, even after, you know... Uh, Fujinami and Oshu and Muto created new, you know, IWGP champion like your Yuji Nagata uh, to your oh, Manabu Nakanishi too a little bit. Then, then, then there was a dark age, but you had Shinsuke Nakamura, the Hiroshi Tanahashi, the, you have all the way to Kazuchika Okada, that they created new superstar with that IWGP title. Mm-hmm. It was well yeah. protected. It's always been a well protected title. Yeah, I think so. And also, they pretty much became like an authority title, right? That that's the top of the mountain title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. It, it, the the nineties. When you think of a nineties IWGP, who do you think of as a champion? Do you have an image that comes to your mind? I, oh, I have an image wow. that comes to my mind. Hmm. What kind of like your, you know, Randy Savage, Bret Hart, Ultimate Warrior, the Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels to Rock and Stone Cold. So they exactly. They, yeah. So it's just every time the new champion, you know, came up, it's like, a, well, it's like a short, you know, shorter than Antonio Inoki or Hulk Hogan era. But uh, every time you create a new champion, that is the guy now. Right. Yeah, and each period had its own kind of feeling to an extent. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah. Or even like Kazuyuki Fujita or, yeah, Kensuke Sasaki's era. Yeah. Uh, I held the title pretty pretty much, you know, like a number of times. That's what I was going to say. The image of the 90s is Hashimoto with the the crown style IWGP belt. Second design belt. Right, right. And. Uh, And like you said, Fuji headline more Tokyo Dome than anybody else. Is that so? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For some, well, there's all all star card though. But the, who was on the main event 
walking down, you know, out of that long ramp of Tokyo Dome. It seems to me Hashimoto did more than 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 the rest. And he did them early on too, when Tokyo Dome started. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah, in a lot of those. First, very first Tokyo Dome show, Vader against Hashimoto was the main event. Yeah. Because they made that for the first Tokyo Dome show in 1990, they made IWGP title vacant just for that show and and had a mini tournament uh, to 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 make a new and to, to crown the new champion. And Vader was it, yeah. Vader pretty much was a star of early 90s, huh? Yeah, I mean he was big every single place he went. Yeah, yeah. Also, New Japan creation, but they went, he went to Mexico and he went to you know world title and then went to Europe and beat Arrow Vance for the title and and WCW of course and and, and well All Japan Triple Crown too. That uh, he did not win win uh, Pro Wrestling Noah's GHC though, but he was he put his hands on the creation of that the, uh, the GHC title too. Because Misawa, when, when he started Pro Wrestling Noah, the only two Americans that the Misawa wanted was Vader and two called Scorpio. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Vader, yeah, played a big part in Japanese wrestling history. Yeah. And he did trade the title with Fujinami. He'd have yeah. matches for I know, it. Yeah. I know, late title 80s. All day. Yeah, Vader told me one time that the Fujinami and and the, and the Vader can do it like they're dancing. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And I think uh, Vader might have the, had his last match ever with Fujinami is his yeah. own tradition card. Yeah. I remember a couple a year years ago before his passing. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it was one of those uh, tradition kind of uh, dream match lineups at Korokan Hall, and I remember he showed up. Yeah, for one it of was those. Ricky Choshu's guest appearance. Although it was six man tag team situation, everybody mm-hmm. was old, older, I guess. Yeah. But uh, he, the Vader, chose Fujinami's, you know, company to be his last place or the, the last match he had, you know, and he, rightfully so, it was his last active match, huh? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's those two became friends over the years. And uh... I, yeah, I witnessed the exchange that. Leon White Vader was the only American calling Fujinami with his first name. Like, hey, Tatsumi. Like, Whoa, <laughs> first name? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, I yeah. mean, I think Vader was big enough to do uh, and say whatever he'd like. Yeah, but those two are friends. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, speaking yeah. of Fujinami, Choshu was also a big part of that early IWGP. Right. Uh, what was interesting is though that the Ricky Choshu doesn't wear a belt, you know, championship belt in his waist. He just carries it in his hand. That's right. Yeah, you never see him wearing it around his waist. No, he always just holding in his, his hand. Much like Stan Hans never wore a belt in his waist. He always carried it. Too active. I think he's too active to wear yeah, it. Yeah, I guess. Right, right. Or for Stan's case, maybe he was too big and the belt was not long enough to wear. His, could be. His yeah. Could have been. Could have been. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, but the Ricky Choshu, interesting that uh, uh, he never really wore that belt in his waist, huh? Mm-mm. Yeah. But he was the champion. Post picture, yes. But uh, the title match, uh, the actual matches, I 
I haven't seen him really wearing belt that often. Maybe he did a few times, but uh, during his heyday, no, Kichoshi always carried the belt in his, in his hand. Yeah. Interesting, right. Maybe because he had all that tape around his hands, he couldn't uh, fasten it properly, so he just never wore it. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. So that's uh, IWGP, you know. So there's a there's a rich history in tournament era between 83 to 85, five-year period. There was like a spring big deal round-robin tournament. Then 87 on, it became title, the championship to be defended. And they created so many champions and so many stars. Yeah. And, I, you know, there was that, that, that 90s period we talked about, but also when we brought up Fujita earlier, there was that period with him and Yasuda, Tarao Yasuda. And- yeah, that too. And the Dark Age, they brought in younger Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that, almost that like a eliminated from history because you can't – In a way. It's hard, hard to find and footage. And the fourth edition of that uh, new design belt, I don't know who – kept it but the 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 physical championship belt disappeared somewhere mm-hmm. so they had to create the belt too yeah but yeah, just after be. that time period uh you know after bob sap and uh bob sap era oh yes but there was a, a tenzan came around that's when he finally uh kind of came out too yeah as a, as yeah. a big top guy as right, handing him the ball and you, you know, run as fast as you can, yeah, as long as you can. Mm. And there was a Kojima against Tenzan, you know, by then, you know, Kojima joined Muto's version of All Japan Pro Wrestling. And it was interesting, the double title match, young Shinsuke Nakamura against Triple Crown champion Kojima, uh, like in 2004-ish. Yeah, the Tokyo Something Dome. like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But those are like well into dark period, though, mm-hmm. when uh, an MMA company like Pride and K1 you know, was so strong that uh, wrestling was nosediving, yeah. But, you know, yeah. the, the IWGP title would become the, the big uh, kind of point, like the, the turning point and part of what Okada, Tanahashi, Nakamura... Uh, Minoru Suzuki, they all went this 2012, and, and also Yoshihiro Takayama era. Yeah, ah, that's right. Tok- uh, uh, Takayama Nagata era too, like that uh, 2004, and, 2005. And Yoshihiro Takayama held both IWGP title and Triple Crown title. And that was very, that was special because it, it was still new back then, that whole period of open open promotions and, and freelancers going two three places yeah Yeah. but wrestling company would work together when business is not so good though you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah that's a memory kind of my my memory goes kind of kind of blah around that time period you know because it was like so much of it you know and it was such a dark period it's like God, and the magazine was nosediving as of 2006, 2007. Gong magazine went out of business. Weekly Fight went out of business. And a lot of, you know, newsstand sports pages went out of business. And, you know, the magazine I was working for, baseball magazine, Shaz Weekly Pro Wrestling, Shukan Pro Wrestling, they were nosediving and they 
they cut our pay in half and then and, and, uh, they uh, really really restructured the magazine and then that's the summer that summer 2007 i got sick yeah mm. yeah but the 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 iwgp title would uh, spring back a couple years later and it would become you know even more respected than around the world than it had been in the 90s i think Right, thanks to people like Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shinsuke Nakamura and Katsuyori Shibata, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think... You had to wait until those guys came up, though, you know? Right, there there was a period of... uh, It was just a different era from the 90s. Yeah. Very different. New new superstars and new face and just... just, uh, the, the, The whole lineup has changed, yeah. And truly, the new era started, you know, after the dark era, yeah, dark age. And I think, it, from my perspective, I think it was AJ Styles who made that title more international than ever. He really... All coming from, like, a TNA? Yeah, and I, I think... Right he, before his WWE signing, yeah. I mean, do you remember that year, that, that season, maybe, like, one or two years we was with New Japan? He became such a, a big star in Japan, like hotter right than, away, yeah, and hotter yeah. than he'd been in the states all these years, just because he was on a bigger platform, and yeah, that was a, that was pivotal as well, I think. Yeah, if you go back and watch Wrestle Kingdom from two, uh, 2016, Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles had a match at the Tokyo Dome before each guy signed with WWE. They really had this fist, you know, that the handshake, you know, like a secret handshake at the end of the match that nobody noticed. I'll meet you there kind of thing. That was the last, that was the last, yeah, that's kind of a, well, I think people know that story because that's what happened to him, those two, and and, uh, Carl Anderson. And that became top WWE program, yeah. And pretty soon after, too. Yeah. Soon after, right, right. But at the time, you know, New Japan fans or like a domestic Japanese fan didn't really realize that the AJ style was leaving. And that the Shinsuke Nakamura leaving wasn't announced until months later, right? So it's not official until it's announced. So it's all speculation, but that's how it happened. Yeah. But that was at a point where. People got to remember Nakamura was the number one most popular Japanese wrestler at that point. Uh-huh, when he uh-huh. when he went to WWE, he was the hot, he was I thought he was the top top of the crop in like 2014-15. Yeah, and then he really left Japan and you know moved to Florida, and uh, he's been there ever since. It's yeah. been a while too. It's been seven years. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, I'm. Pretty certain that uh, Shinsuke Nakamura have another brand new, fresh run with WWE this year. Oh, I'm sure. I, I think he's uh, just had the spring off. It seems like, or excuse me, and winter also off. That uh, uh, all these things, also, you know, like a, this is kind of like a pieces of a puzzle. That uh, the reason there was Great Muta against Shinsuke Nakamura uh, January first at at the Budokan this year, it will be part of next WWE storyline. Hmm. I yeah. think Muta's in town this week. 
He's yeah. in Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah, so it was like you know give and take kind of business. That, uh, sure. that there was a reason that uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Great Muta took place. Uh, the match took place in in Budokan in Japan this year, and sure enough, that uh, Great Muta would be inducted into Hall of Fame this year. Hmm. So all these things start making sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Did we cover this forty-year IWGP history well enough? Yeah, I guess the only thing we should probably just touch on quickly is that okay. I guess I guess this title. Is it technically uh, not the same title it was? It was kind of unified into this new... Because uh, 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 the Shinsuke Nakamura created IWGP in a continental title, right? Or there's that too. And but IWGP I'm... heavyweight title. That became yes. IWGP world heavyweight title two years ago, two summers ago, I think. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now it's different design belt that uh, Okada is holding this, you know, the that the upside down triangle that the design belt that's your iwgp not just heavyweight title but iwgp world heavyweight title now mm. yeah but it's just same lineage right same lineage yep yep yeah 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 so it's like uh yeah uh those are a little detail for me but uh it's, it's the same I, I, iwgp title for me but uh yes uh that's the part of the history too very recent history. Recent history, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. But we were just kind of focused on the uh, the origins today. Yeah, because, you, you know, if you know more about it, it's like, wow, this IWGP, you know, if you, you know, followed wrestling or New Japan Pro Wrestling in the last three to five years, you know, you would know these, you know, Antonio Inoki era to Ricky Choshu, Fujinami era to your Vader, Scott Norton, Bam Bam Bigelow era to your dark age to rise of Shinsuke Nakamura and then Hiroshi Tanahashi and yeah. Then Okada. Yeah, of course. Hmm. And up until now. Very yeah. good. All right. So that's kind of the first part of our, our championship you know, series. We're going to focus on IWGP. Yeah, next episode we'll be talking about the origin of Triple Crown. Mm-hmm. All Japan's yeah. Triple Crown Championship. Yeah, International Heavyweight Title, United National Heavyweight Title, Pacific Wrestling Federation uh, title, the three single title that existed in all Japan that was combined and made it into one big triple crown back in 1990 by Stan Hansen and Jumbo we'll, we'll We'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, mm, Very good. So if people want to reach out to you on the internet, where can they reach you? Uh, on Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumisaito on, on Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it. We'll see you next time for the Triple Crown history from all Japan. Yeah. And so until next time, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.